Welcome to FieldLink. I'm your host, Bill Smith. On today's episode, we're going to discuss balancing a crop's nutritional needs with crop input prices. Derek Emery, National Agronomist, highlights some of this insight from the April edition of FieldLink, which can be found on HelenaAgrin.com. In addition, Jody Lawrence will join us from the Strategic Advisors Group in Nashville, Tennessee, where he'll discuss the commodity market update. Plus, Steve Seaman, National Marketing Manager for Agrointelligence, will join us to share some insight that both he and Derek unveiled with the Extractor Tissue Sampling Program from Agrointelligence. As a bonus, Derek will unveil the top six nutritional deficiencies that the AI team has uncovered, and he'll share that and what it really truly means to you as a grower. Stay tuned for FieldLink. And we're back at FieldLink, and uh, uh, today we're excited to have with us our national agronomist, Derek Emmerine, uh, here in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, and he's going to be talking with us a little bit about balancing nutritional needs with crop inputs and prices uh, from the FieldLink article uh, posted here in April. Uh, Derek, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, you know, there's an awful lot of chatter uh, around fertility prices, you know, uh, a lots, you can't open up the newspaper or air, uh, nobody reads the newspaper anymore, but here a podcast or radio is talking about prices, all the growers are talking about it, but uh, boy, you know, we're learning a lot. We're learning a lot about fertility. We're learning a lot about, uh, you know, these prices and, and, you know, for the foreseeable future, it doesn't look like it's going to be, you know, backing off a whole lot. So could you expand a little bit uh, what your perspective is from an agronomist? Sure. Um, well, yeah, prices have more than doubled on commodity fertilizers. And so um, everyone is is trying to figure out, you know, how do I make this work? And, um, and although grain prices um, at the market are also high, it's still a delicate balancing act to figure out, you know, can I cut fertilizer without cutting yield? Um, you know, we don't want to lose money, but yet we want, you know, we want to be as frugal as we can. Um, so for me as an agronomist, you know, it always goes back to a soil test. You know, I'm yeah. a big believer in that. We, we need to soil test to determine how much fertilizer do we actually need. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I think that's going to be more important and guys are seeing the importance of that. But then you come into a year like this and these prices have drastically went up and people, you know, are like, I've got to cut. I've got right. to cut. And, you know. It's kind of a natural instinct. It isn't is. It? It's like, oh, boy, prices are crazy. i got to cut, cut, cut. Mm-hmm. But it can cut. Too much cutting can kind of really hurt you on the other end. Right. And, you know, at Helena, we sell fertilizer and we hate to see people cut, but we also understand there's an economic portion to this. And the thing from an agronomist standpoint, I want people to understand is we're not necessarily against cutting, but let's cut the right thing. Right. Um, you know, the last thing you want to do is, is make a knee jerk reaction and say, I want to cut everything 30%. But yet one of those nutrients that you cut 30% may be very deficient right. and can have a big negative impact on yield. It's really a little bit of a combining an art as well as a science of where can I best manage my resources? Where can I put my dollars? Uh, and how how uh, how can I strategically do that in, in at a time like this? That's right. That's right. So, what kind of tools are you utilizing to to help? I guess better understand this space. So, you know, like I said before, we have our high ground program for soil 
for soil data analysis. Um, but then, you know, we also have some in-season tools, mm-hmm. um, you know, one being Extractor, which is our plant tissue analysis program. And so, you know, with that, that can be used a couple of different ways. Um, one, you know, if you were in the boat and you felt like, hey, I've got to cut fertilizer and, and you've already made that commitment and you're down that path, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but as we get into the 22 season, um, if you've got a really good looking crop and you've got it sold at a, at a really good price, we want to make as much as we can. Right. And so you can utilize extractor to get an idea of where, where are the nutrient levels and um, you know, there's an opportunity there for either a foliar application or, you know, maybe an in-season commodity application. Um, you know, it's important that I speak out from an agronomic standpoint, a foliar nutritional is never going to replace commodity fertilizer. Sure. We do not believe that we would never preach that. However, um, there are key moments where applying a foliar at a key reproductive timing can actually get you a little bit of a yield boost. Um, it's never going to replace all the commodity, but it, but it can help you help you, I guess, prevent you from having a, a huge yield reduction. Yeah. I think your point's really valid. You know, uh, here, here we are, you know, we're launching this podcast here in uh, April, May and, uh, you know, a lot of the decisions have been made for, you know, the pre-fertilizer and uh, growers have made those decisions. As you pointed out, if they have chosen to cut back something, boy, product like extractor is going to be really critical to help them best identify where some of these deficiencies are because to your point these prices for some of these commodities are still doing very very well yes yeah and a good opportunity to you know really add uh, yield to the bottom line uh and 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 this really is about yield in good times and bad it, it really does come down about bushels in the bend doesn't it for sure yeah so um you know, what, what have you guys learned uh, uh, about extractor over the years uh, as, you know, this isn't the first year or two with extractor? Oh, oh no, not by any means. So we've learned, I mean, there, there's a lot of things that we've learned. Uh, one, um, as we got into this, um, we, we started diving into sufficiency ratings. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a very important topic with, with tissue testing. Um, so most labs, most standard sufficiency ratings were developed in the 1970s and 80s. Right. And, you know, I think everybody understands that the yields that we make today are drastically different than what they were in 1970 and 1980. Mm -hmm. Um, So. Well, the genetics are different too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we've taken a lot of time, you know, over the years, um, you know, I can tell you in the last three years, uh, we've collected almost 142,000 extractor samples. That's wow. just in the last three years. Wow. Um, you know, we've been, we've been doing this pretty heavily for the last eight or nine years. Okay. Um, but as we get more data, there's certain key crops, key growth stages, key nutrients that we've looked at more up-to-date research. We've looked at our data with the varieties we have today, and we've made some modifications and tweaks to what those sufficiency ratings are. And, you know, a lot of people, if you're, if you're skeptical, you're like, yeah, I bet you raised them all. Well, we've raised some, but there's some we actually lowered okay, based off the data that we've collected. So we're really, we think that's important to make sure let, let's use the right sufficiency. Well, I think that's a really good point. You know, you've just involved mm-hmm. with the times, uh, right. you know, technology has evolved on, as I mentioned earlier, genetics have certainly evolved over the last 25, 30 years. 
so should the science behind, uh, you know, uh, you know, making uh, nutritional uh, recommendations. And, you know, certainly there's a lot of chatter about and, and, and concern and rightfully so about some of the fertilizer prices because it's different, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my gosh, I doubled my price, my inputs. Derek, you know, this 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 is this uh, this phenomena of these fertilizer prices probably not going to go away for a little while. Well, yeah, that, I mean that's another thing I've I've started to talk to people about. You know, we go into twenty two. You said I'm going to cut my fertilizer X percent and and hope twenty three is better. And and I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know how long sure. we're going to be in this cycle. But even if you don't, if if you're skeptical about is a foliar application going to help me? Is it really going to get me yield? I, I believe that it can. Um, if you time it right. But even if you don't believe that, I would advocate pulling a tissue test so we can better plan for 23. So, you know, and the best example I can give, if you came into this year and you cut P and K 30%, but yet you pull a tissue sample and every one of them is deficient in potassium, maybe we don't need to cut potassium 30% next year. Right. And, and we can make a more educated decision on how we need to cut. Right. So really, at the end of the day, it's it's building up this database so that we better understand, you know, what that crop needs, what's going on in the soil, you know, in good times and bad. Right. Uh, we, we, we really got to be paying attention to all. I think it's even more important in times like this. Wow. Great, great, great advice here. And, and folks, you can learn more about balancing nutritional needs with crop input prices by going to HelenaAgra.com and looking under FieldLink for the April 21st version of FieldLink. Derek, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now we're going to toss it over to Jody Lawrence from Strategic Advisors in Nashville to learn a little bit more about the commodity prices, what's going on in uh, the markets today. Jody, uh, welcome to the show. It's good to be back, Bill. Awesome. Lots of things happening in the markets today. Uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, ups and downs. It seems to be the uh, the theme going on right now in in, in the commodity markets. But uh, Jody, take give us a little insight on what you're picking up. Well, right now, uh, you look at today and just kind of the reaction from last Thursday, uh, Friday, you know, new highs, new contract highs, and just concentrating on December corn. Uh, and then to pull back and be down 10 today, it's the it's the biggest drop in, gosh, uh, since around the report time at least. And it, it, it all comes down to weather because uh, going into last week, everybody was pessimistic about planting. And it was also the end of the month, so nobody had really, you know, push the panic button just yet, but they were certainly way very apprehensive about the unknown. And then as things look forward, the Western Corn Belt, and I talked to uh, several Helena, big Helena customers in Eastern Nebraska, they've already got all of their corn planted. They were able to not necessarily mud it in, but they were slow, steady progress in, in some cold uh, damp soils, but went in, then they got the weekend rain. So I think right now, looking forward, you've got a, a, a little bit more optimism that we'll, we will get to 50, 60% of the U.S. corn planted by the 15th of the month. Yeah, it never amazes me, you know, how quick a 
crop of corn or soybeans can get into the ground no matter of a handful of good days. And I think, you know, nationally, we've just been looking for that window uh, across the country and not just in the United States, but also, you know, in other parts around the world, uh, still hearing some rippling effect uh, in South America. What, what are you picking up uh, from the South American crop? They are still struggling in uh, one of the major uh, northern Brazilian safrina regions because their La Nina three-year dry pattern just has not broken. And right when they should be ending their wet season, their wet season actually ended three or four weeks ago and with about, uh, well, over half of their safrina crop going into pollination and under pretty severe drought stress, that is a bigger long-term concern. Today, I think you have a lot of knee-jerk reaction to improved U.S. planting potential, but other world dynamics just simply didn't change that, uh, that much at all over the weekend. And if you look at the deterioration of what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, with Ukraine shutting down all of their ports because Russia appears to be close to accomplishing their mission of taking over Odessa and Maripool, that you're, you're about to take Ukraine out of all world shipment except by rail car. And I, it, to me, it, it, there's no outcome there that, that makes that bearish the price of corn. Yeah, that's what's really confusing, I think, for a lot of growers. You know, we, we hear the news reports of those ports basically being shut down. And for the most part, the crop uh, year for 22 being somewhat eliminated in Ukraine. I mean, we're seeing, you know, prices fall. Uh, it, it's very confusing for a lot of producers. Yeah, the, the, and this is the extreme volatility that watching the market uh, on a day-to-day basis that uh, under normal conditions when you know, corn is only moving five or six cents a day in a daily range, that uh, you have this elevated level of concern. And then they go, well, I need to start watching it more closely. And then the more they watch it closely, the more nervous they get because they see these 18 to 25 cent daily ranges, which are now normal in corn, that makes more people nervous than it settles their nerves. So it, it it's one of those things. It's hard to tell somebody, oh, corn's at seven fifty, but don't t- pay attention to it to a couple days, and you'll sleep better. As soon as you say, hey, corn's at seven fifty, they're going to start watching it more closely. Right, and, and and you know, talking to some other folks out there, you know, it just seems like there's more speculation going on, and people that are in this market and these commodity markets that you know maybe traditionally haven't been playing in this. And you, do you do you pick that up from some of your customers? Absolutely, because you look at, even though the stock market had a nice bounce back today of about uh, 600 points, you're still struggling as uh, interest rates have risen dramatically. Uh, You've got the the 10-year Treasury now at, gosh, new uh, almost uh, three and a half, four-year highs. So interest rates are are going up, uh, which means real estate investment is becoming more of a problem. Uh, stock market certainly is not returning anything. And what everybody looks at when you start, especially on a day like today, new month fund investing, they're going, okay, what's hot? What's going on? And you look across the commodity sector, anywhere from crude oil to bean oil to corn uh, to wheat. Uh, it's just, we have outperformed everybody uh, in the first four months 
on a return from a long position basis. Jody, now that we're in the first part of May, you know, what do growers really need to be looking at, you know, over the next 30 to 60 days? Any 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 advice that you can share with them at this point? Well, I'll even shorten that window a little bit because the the real issues are uh, historically the you look at the crop and you talk to any agronomists that. Uh, and, and this and a lot of this is uh, you, you don't call it old wives tales because it's it, it makes complete sense. And it's true that we need to get 50 percent of the U.S. corn crop planted by May 10th to be confident it is in a position to get that early yield bump uh, that we get. And what that really uh, really just stretches out to when you talk about that, the earlier it goes in the ground, the earlier it goes into pollination, which is earlier in the summer and not in the hottest part. So that's where that, you know, potentially seven to you know, seven, one to three week period, if corn becomes late instead of being maybe in early June or late June and early July becomes mid July to late July. So that's where that bump comes from. And then on the bean side of it, May 20th is historically that kind of line in the sand that they want to see uh, to, to be able to have confidence that you're not going to run into uh, any, any of the issue, same type of weather issues as they affect beans. So uh, that in the short term, the next three weeks will be driven by that. Uh, if the weather improves, then the prevent plant dates become far less important because people won't even look at them. But if you're in North Dakota and you're under, you've got, three inches of water standing in your field now with more coming, more flooding rain across the northern plains, that when your first prevent plant dates start to become in this late May standpoint, you can look at those really high uh, averages that we got from the February averages and figure it out that that may be the safest route to go rather than taking a very high risk late planted crop simply uh, on the fact that, hey, cor- you know, corn's up here, be- or beans are at, uh, you know, November beans are at $15. The, the safer stay in business kind of route uh, may be to take some prevent plants. So that's when you really get it. And to me, that's what the next 30 days are about. When we get to June 2nd and we have this conversation again, it will be very interesting to find out if you've already had some uh, a wave of prevent plant being taken, and it's it's something that the insurance companies don't report, but uh, industry chatter and on Twitter and everything else, we'll start to figure that out in about three. Yeah, weeks. a lot, and then obviously. Oh, just a lot, lot going to happen in the next three weeks as those dates draw closer and then Mother Nature, you know, makes her decisions on, you know, where am I going to drop rain? Am I going to still snow in the the Dakotas, uh, Montana and some of those parts of the country? Absolutely. And when you when you start looking out to the 60 day, it goes back to how early does the crop get planted? So do we have to worry about, you know, high drop uh, or high a, excuse me, a dry, hot 4th of July type uh, forecast. Like you know, last year, everybody was worried about it. Forecast changed going into the long 4th of July weekend and corn 
corn and beans were down 50, 60 cents by the end of the next week. So that's the June, uh, certainly the June outlook, the, uh, which that is going to be set up by the next three weeks. In three weeks, we'll be able to identify uh, where our major uh, you know, bullish concerns, because you know, if it's bullish, that means we're stressing the crop. And if they're bearish concerns, it means we're worried about prices going down. But uh, we are talking about a healthy and a potential uh, trend line yield uh, U.S. corn and bean crop. And Jody, let's talk a little bit about diesel. That's something definitely going to impact every grower out there this spring. It's going to impact the growers. It's going to impact uh, all of the truck drivers who have trucking firms who farm. And uh, today, unfortunately, we hit an all-time record high on the June diesel price. It was up over 25 cents at one point, set a new all-time high of $4.27 a gallon. It's the highest price since 2008. And all I continue, continue to advise is, any 25 to 30, 40 cent break that you see through your jobber to go ahead and buy some and hedge it. Because my real concern here in 2008, when we were trading at the previous record high for diesel, crude oil was trading at $1.47 a gallon or a barrel. Today it's trading at $105 a barrel. So if crude oil just goes up $20 to $125, a barrel. Uh, diesel very, very easily uh, on the futures cost could have a five in front of it. Yeah, diesel definitely something everybody needs to be paying attention to, especially uh, during this planting season. Well, Jody, certainly lots of things going to be taking place over the next uh, 30 days or so as uh, growers and many growers across the country, you know, hit these fields uh, where they can. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully Mother Nature gives us a, a good window here to get that crop. And Jody, want to thank you for your time today from Nashville joining us. Jody Lawrence, uh, Strategic uh, Trading Advisors. Jody, thanks for joining us on Field Lane. Thank you, Bill. Now let's go back to Derek and Steve as they share additional insight with us. And welcome back to Fieldlink. Joining me now is uh, Steve Seaman. He's our National uh, Marketing Manager for the Agri-Intelligence Group. And Derek Amarine, our National Agronomist. Guys, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Today, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about referencing an article from the Fieldlink episode, on, uh, which was launched on the 21st of April, how Helena reveals lessons learned from tissue sampling. Tissue sampling is a pretty big uh, part of our system, and uh, we call it extractor. And uh, Steve, you want to share a little bit of the history uh, of extractor with our guest today? Yeah, so uh, extractor has been around oh, probably nine, nine plus years at this point. Uh, we started down that path using another system, and, and so we had gained some knowledge, and we thought and talked a lot about how that actually needed to work for Helena, and, and it allowed us to really alter extractor for each individual area within Helena. Obviously, across the, the company in different geographies, across different crops, there's different needs and across different growth stages. So it allowed us to really fine tune uh, it to meet the, the need and demand across the company and across the different growing regions. And, and with extractor, it's, you know, a lot of times when we hear tissue sampling, a lot of uh, folks, you know, it, it's beyond corn and soybeans. Extractor can be utilized for multiple crops, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're in, uh, we're in several crops. I don't know the exact number, Derek, you might have an idea what that number is today, but we're, we're constantly adding 
new crops to that to that extractor product, right? And so as we get feedback from the guys in the field and they ask us, hey, we need to look at this crop, we are very much working on adding those as the need arises. Yeah, I don't know the exact number, but I would guess 50 to 75 crops. So we're, we're talking obviously corns, soybeans, cotton, but, but also products like, yeah, you know, vine, uh, vine products, uh, grapes, trees, and fruits, trees fruits, apple trees. So uh, extractor certainly does have a lot of width and depth and it reaches everybody across the entire United States uh, right. with that product. So, uh, Steve, walk us through the process of, you know, how, how the extractor samples are pulled. Typically, I know every crop's a little bit different, but walk us through that whole process and what's the experience the customer can expect. So as, as Derek talked about, you know, we're trying to really identify key points in that crop, you know, in the growing stage of that crop. And so, uh, you know, a lot of our people are already aware of it. Uh, you know, Derek works with a lot of our agronomists in the field to help them understand. And, you know, we're, we have training that we help our people understand, you know, at what point uh, do we pull these samples hmm. at, at what point of the crop? And then that goes into making that recommendation. So uh, the process really begins with, uh, you know, we talked about uh you know, your standard fertilizer program up front. Sometimes extractor is part of that program. You know, you knowingly today with today's prices, you may want to come back and, and have a planned uh, event that you're going to come back and tissue sample. So uh, whether it's, it, whether that's the case and it's planned or someone walks into an office someplace in one of our Helen locations and says, hey, I see a problem in my field, or I'm not sure what's going on, or I really want to try to maximize what I've got uh, out of this crop or in this field. And from that point, we go out and we pull tissue samples, and then we send them to uh, certified labs across the United States. And then we submit those samples, get our results back, and then those reports automatically come back to our sales reps, who can then have that conversation with the grower to make the recommendation on what should be done. Right. So it's really kind of a two-pronged approach. It's kind of like you and I, you know, we have our annual physical where we can plan to go in and, and in this case, get your extractor sample That's right. or, gosh, I'm not feeling good. So let's run that urgent care and get that quick test and see what's going on. That's right. Okay. So uh, it really does lend to a lot of flexibility for growers to, you know, plan it or uh, in that se- in mid-season or, you know, towards the end of the season where, boy, I'm recognizing some issues. Let's pull that extractor sample to have it really tell that agronomic story. Right. And things change throughout the season, right? You've got different weather patterns. Uh, you know, sometimes it gets dry, sometimes it's wetter, right? And so that is also going to cause us to want to also think about, you know, do we pull a sample or not pull a sample? Yeah. So that all comes into play. And what are some of the things that you guys have learned over the years? You know, Derek, I know uh, as we, Steve indicated, gosh, you've been playing in the extractor area. It's been a big part of the Helena system for a number of years. But what lessons have we learned uh, from, from extractor? Sure. So, I mean, some of that has to do with what, what nutrients are typically showing up as a problem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we aggregate all of our soil sample data and tissue data. Um, and what's interesting, is, you know, we have six nutrients that consistently show up as being deficient in our extractor samples, irregardless of crop or growth stage. And, and those are potassium, zinc, nitrogen, sulfur, magnesium, and boron. Um, they're not showing up in every crop, but overall, those are the top six. Um, what's interesting is four of those top six nutrients, potassium, zinc, 
sulfur, and boron are also in the top five most efficient nutrients we see in the soil. Okay. So there's some correlations there and there's some consistency in what nutrients are showing up as a problem. So when you identify some of these deficiencies, what does that information allow you to do as an agronomist? So it allows us one in season, we, we can come up with a, a, a rescue plan. Hey, let's do a foliar application. Let's try to overcome it. But more importantly, as we go into subsequent years, we can build a better overall fertility program based off the deficiencies that we saw the prior year. So, so what I'm also hearing, uh, to your point, you know, we can, we can put a Band-Aid on it, right? Uh, right now, let's go try to fix this problem. Maybe we're deficient in, in boron, whatever it may be, and we can create a, pro- a product, identify a product to, to fix that situation. But, boy, you're building up a lot of data here. Absolutely. Uh, what do you, how, how can you utilize all of that information? Well, I mean, we, we utilize, I mean, it, it goes a lot of different ways. It can help us fine tune what our regular fertility practices are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned boron, you know, that, that's one particular nutrient as we've collected data, we tend to shy away from putting it out with commodity fertilizer. And in and, and a lot of crops, we strictly do that as a foliar application because it seems to be more effective. So, you know, when you talk about micronutrients, a little bit goes a long way. And some of those are needed at reproductive timings. And if you strictly rely on those with your spring or fall applied fertilizer, you may or may not get as much benefit. So it it can go a lot of different things can happen depending on the crop, the soil types and things of that nature. Steve, uh, you know, what, what kind of trends are you seeing in this whole space of uh, uh, extractor? Uh, Are you seeing the uptake from that uh, expanding? across the country? In terms of just extractor becoming more of a popular product, absolutely. I mean, there's a um, definitely a growing demand, not even just in Helena, but I see across the entire industry. Sure. And, uh, and, and especially with some of these, you know, fertilizer prices we're seeing today. I mean, that's driving this year a lot of the demand. So uh, while it has been growing over the past several years, uh, certainly this year we expect it to really be a, be a big hit amongst a lot of the a lot of our people, a lot of the growers. Steve, what are some of the other new technologies as it relates to tissue sampling? How is that impacting growers today from across the country? The things that we've added and built into the extractor uh, as of the last couple of years is georeferencing samples. So now we can know precisely where that sample was pulled in the field, but also looking at trends throughout that season, right? In, in some of our crops, especially like in uh, trees, nuts, fruits, you know, they need to see trends and they're not just going to pull one sample over the season. They may pull five or six, but they want to see how that crop is trending uh, with its tissue samples. Right. And, you know, going back to the georeferencing, you know, I get excited about it, nerd out a little bit because we can, if we georeference a sample, we can start to correlate that to what's showing up in the soil. Right. In those same spots. So we can go back and look at that previous data from the soil test and say, oh, there's a they, bigger story. How do they relate? Right. And then take it to that next step. How does that yield respond exactly. through uh, your true yield product? That's exactly right. So yeah. it really ties soil to tissue to yield through georeferencing as well as trends and combining them all together. That's right. Great. It's exciting technology. Steve, I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of data out there, you know, through our high ground program and through extractor, there's just so much data for growers to, you know, 
digest, if you will. Uh, what, what kind of tools do you have in place to help, help, help them sift through that shaft, if you will, with all that information? So we have a product, Agri-Intelligence, which is a, a full season GIS type information product uh, or program. And, uh, and, and, and within that, we've got several options, right? I mean, sure. and, and it really, if you look at the, if you look at the, uh, the cycle of the crop over the whole growing season, we've got offerings. It starts with, uh, with a high ground product, which is looking at soil uh, sampling. You know, Derek talked about that earlier, uh, collecting information on the, the crop throughout the season, looking at uh, what is the, the need for seed population? You know, what seed do you choose? What is the best uh, variety that we need to put out in this field based on what we've seen in, in the past and based on uh, growers, others, his other experiences with, you know, the, the crops that he's growing. Uh, all the way to, like we said, extractor and then taking it all the way to basically harvest, right? And looking sure. at how did this crop actually perform? It's the true report card for the field is uh, where true yield comes in. So that all feeds us into the next year. Right. And so the grower, the grower does not need to initially be responsible for sifting through all the data. I mean, we've got tools that help that grower do that, and then we can help them with that. I mean, we, uh, Derek and I spend a lot of time with our people in the field, teaching them, training them, and, hey, here's how these tools work. And, and I mean, the brain can only handle so much, right? Sure. And so these tools will actually help help us allow us to see the trends in the crop and help make some of those decisions. And, and so, you know, there's a lot of Derek's in the world, you know, and a lot of Steve's yeah. and, and we can glean from that and we can build that intelligence into agri-intelligence. Well, that's, what's really neat about the agri-intelligence platform is there's lots of different building blocks that really, when you put all those pieces together, you really have a, a strong foundation of intelligence really uh, for, for that grower to make some wise decisions in season and even prior to season, prior to planting. Uh, so, uh, boy, uh, guys, I want to thank all of you for coming in this afternoon and visiting with us a little bit about uh, agri-intelligence and revealing uh, some of these lessons learned and, and some of these uh, nutrients uh, that, that you know, are showing up across the nation to be short. And, and growers can certainly log in to HelenaAgra.com, uh, check the field link article uh, published, uh, Helena reveals lessons learned from tissue sampling uh, that was posted on April 21st, uh, 22. Uh, guys, thanks for your time today. Thanks all you're doing for agriculture and helping growers thanks produce some more. Thanks, Bill. You bet. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Field Link Podcast. Be sure to like and follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't have to miss the latest from Field Link Team. Plus, you can now access all of your Field Link podcast episodes on YouTube. And don't forget to check out our latest Field Link articles on HelenaAgra.com under the Field Link tab to learn more about the people, products, and knowledge dedicated to help you grow a more profitable crop on your farm.